Welcome back to the Masters EMP. I'm here again uh, with my friend, Jake Tauby. Hello. And the last interview that we had, uh, you talked about your your book, Send Me, I'll Go. And we were also talking off of the podcast, mm-hmm. not recording, uh, about a project that you're working on, uh, studying the book of Acts. That's right. Yeah. So uh, what is it that's interested you in, in studying the book of Acts and then... Mm-hmm consequently, writing yeah. a book on it. Well, obviously, as a missionary, there's uh, the book of Acts uh, is often referenced and talked about, not just for missionaries, but the book of Acts has a really unique place in the church's life and thinking because um, we, I think we have higher, we have a different set of expectations when we open the book of Acts than we do of uh, most books. You know, for example, when we, we open the Gospels, <clears throat> We, no matter which one we open up, we're, we're not expecting necessarily to see um, ourselves on every page. Or, for example, we're not expecting to see what our church should look like. But there's there's something about the book of Acts that when we open up, we tend to hold ourselves up against it. And we're, we're trying to say, especially as missionaries in the second half of the book of Acts, where we say, uh, why doesn't my life look more like the Apostle Paul's life? Or, or you know, in the first half of Acts, we're asking... Uh, why doesn't our church look more like the church in the first part of the book of Acts? So as a missionary, I was very interested in these questions as the book of Acts was just being kind of talked about uh, constantly. And so I wanted to I wanted to learn because not only that, but you also hear very the book of Acts being used for totally different purposes. You know, you'll hear people say, I just think it's just like this in the book of Acts uh, about very different things. And I've had people try to kind of talk about the good things that were happening, whether you know, when we were missionaries in China, they would say, wow, you know, some of these stories are just like from the book of Acts. And I wanted to ask, you know, which part of the book of Acts does it sound like it's a story from? Uh, that's, but in missionary talk, that's like the highest praise you can give is to say that something that a missionary is experiencing is just like something from, from the book of Acts. But so I got, I just started to wonder how much of this talk is justified and how much of it uh, is there any, do we have any serious misunderstandings? What does the book of Acts actually lead us to expect for missionary ministry and for the life of the church? So for you, as you have encountered a lot of different ways that the book of Acts has been read, interpreted, and applied, what what are some of the, I guess, more extreme cases that you've seen that are just, just mm. misapplications of the, the book as a whole? Yeah, well, I yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that at some level, uh, we are supposed to hold ourselves up to the book of Acts and that our church is up to the book of Acts. But the question becomes, can the book of Acts legitimately be read as a guidebook for uh, for what our church should look like and how to do missions? So it's uh, pretty common, I think, for uh, missionaries to, uh, for there to be, you know, long, um, discussions about Pauline method and what what kind of a missionary Paul was and are we doing the kind of things that that he did? I, I think that whole idea of the Book of Acts as being a guidebook is missing, probably missing the point most of the time about what Luke actually wrote his book to do. So the question is, do we do we want to agree with Luke about what he what he wrote about? And because it's because it's a book that records a lot of history. Maybe that's why we feel like it's just um, something that can be taken objectively, as if Luke didn't have a position on it, that he was just being a historian recording what happened without any perspective. But 
it is very clear that Luke is writing Acts with a point. He has an axe to grind, pardon the pun. Well played. Well, well played. <laughs> he has something he wants to say. And uh, if we just take it, take the bare historical facts and then try to play with those facts as we want and miss that there's a message in Acts, I think that we're doing a, a, an injustice to the book. And of course, like I said, that becomes you know particularly clear when you're talking about Paul and his and his work, and for example, how he was, how Paul was called, uh, how he was sent, how he was supported, the kind of places he went to, who he preached to, how he preached to them, how long he stayed, how he supported those people. These are all questions that can be analyzed and say, okay, this is how Paul did it as a missionary. Therefore, the book of Acts teaches us to do this as missionaries, which those are, that's not, it's not the same thing at all. And you mentioned that, that Luke, as he's writing this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has a point that he's making. And, yeah. And oftentimes they miss that point. What, what do you think that point is? Well, here's where I think you can't miss the connection between Acts and the book of Luke. And in our Bible's position of our books in the New Testament, it's easy to overlook that, right? Because we stuck the book of John between Luke and Acts. For good reasons. We did that for good reasons. Uh, but when you separate Luke and Acts, it's easy to forget that they are joined together. And Luke, at the beginning of the book of Acts, makes it as clear as he can possibly make it that these books are to be read and understood together. And when we read the book of Luke, that means their purposes cannot be very different either. At least they're likely not very different. And I think most Christians, if you sat them down and said, why did, why did Luke write a gospel? Why did he write the book of Luke? I think most Christians would understand the book of Luke was written to record the works of God through his son to redeem his people. And the, um, the fulfillment of his ancient promises to his people to bring salvation. He did not write the gospel of Luke, for example. I don't think many Christians read, um, at least we shouldn't, we shouldn't read the story, say, of the crucifixion of Christ. And read that and just say, emphasis on just, this passage is teaching me that I need to be forgiving to those who wrong me and I always need to be loving and I need to suffer um, to show the love of God for others. As a Christian, we would say, yeah, that's, that's maybe a good lesson, but that's, that's not what Luke is getting at. Luke is recording the works of God in history. Now, that's not to say it doesn't have an application for us. Of course, it has an application for us. Uh, but the same thing is true about Luke. Luke is Luke has continued, unlike the other um, three evangelists. Luke has decided to extend his story further out, but it's the same story. It is still the mighty works of God to redeem. And in Luke's perspective, those mighty works of God did not terminate with the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord. His works were also prominent in the establishment of his church especially in its earliest years, and in the ministry of uh, the Apostle Paul. So I, I think that's what we should see. Again, it's not to say there's no application, but the application comes later. The first thing is to marvel at and to stand and to uh, be confronted with the facts of God's work uh, in history and what it means. So how would you say then that the book of Acts should be best applied to our modern context? Hmm. Uh, well, you could maybe use a little uh, illustration from like a like a like a doctor's office. Like, 
Uh, if you went to a doctor and he told you, uh, you know, you're sick, take this medicine and you'll feel better. That's a direct instruction. And I think that's how we tend to view the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is a series of like doctor's instructions for how to be a healthy church, how to be a healthy missionary. Uh, but other times an application comes from a work of literature or, or art or from scripture in a, in a little bit different way. So if, you know, if you watched a, a documentary about uh, like a really uh, corrupt corporation, well, that might lead to all sorts of interesting applications in your life. You might say, well, I need to quit my job working for that organization or working for that corporation. Or you might say, I'm going to vote for a different politician uh, in this coming election. Or you might say, I'm going to buy a different product at the at the store based on what I saw in that documentary. That documentary might not have talked about any of those specific things, but it was setting forth facts of what had happened. And so uh, those facts then lead you to live your life in a different way. So um, there's all sorts of things in the book of Acts that do inspire us and show us the fittingness of living a life of courageous faith, of true witness, of love for God's people, of expectant hope, and, and all these things. But it's not a monkey see, monkey do, here's your medicine, take it, sort of that, that level of simplistic instruction. It's more letting us witness the works of God in ancient history and then uh, uh, learn from those. So I would say, uh, more than it's teaching us to be good missionaries, it's teaching us to be disciples of, of, of Jesus. It's teaching us to be disciples of Jesus. It's teaching us who Jesus is, and it's teaching us what his kingdom is and what he's actually uh, accomplished. Now, you and I were talking before, mm. and I, I don't believe it was while we were recording, yeah. but the tendency that we have to read ourselves into the story. Mm. And we make ourselves, almost always we make ourselves the hero. We don't Naturally. normally make ourselves yeah. like the tragic death to make the hero look better, right? So, right. But as we're reading through scripture, it's, well, not usually the, or ever really the best way to, to read that and putting mm -hmm. ourselves in the hero's position. But often we do that with Paul. Um, we say, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing just like the apostle Paul did, or this is, I'm going to follow his example, his model. Right. So, as, as we consider that tendency, mm. what are some important differences between us <laughs> and the Apostle Paul that we should probably keep in mind while we're reading through the book of Acts? Yeah, there's so many. And uh, there, I would say foremost among those differences is the fact that Paul is not just a missionary, that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, a capital A apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle on par with the twelve, And that affects his mission in important ways. And the problem is when we see Paul doing something, it can be difficult for us to explain. And I'm always surprised at the comfort that sometimes people have in saying, well, Paul did this and not even acknowledging that this problem is there. At what level was Paul acting as a missionary and at what level was he acting as an apostle? Are there some things that Paul did that he would not have done if he was a regular missionary like we're trying uh, to be today? And the best, I'm not sure, I still don't know the best way to describe. I'm trying to study and learn about how these two identities that Paul had. But I, in one way, I don't think they're really two totally separate entities. I would almost say that Paul was that, that being an apostle was like being a, a certain kind of missionary. It was like a certain kind of missionary. And it wasn't two separate things. And Paul wasn't like, 
You know, he didn't have two, he wasn't living with, he didn't have two different business cards, one for being an apostle, one for being a missionary. It was one identity that he had, one mission that he had that he was working out. Maybe a better way to say it is that Paul wasn't a missionary at all in the way that we would think of being a missionary. It's just that his particular mission that he was given by Christ bore a certain similarity to uh, the work that we do as missionaries. And the same, in the same way that a pastor you know, serving in his own country, his work also bears certain resemblance to the work of a missionary, even though there are some, you know, important, important differences. So that's one, the difference of being a possibly a missionary. But the other one is there's, Paul was serving, it was in such a, uh, a concrete, specific uh, uh, place. Um, uh, the cultural and the, uh, you know, um, the, what, what the, the, the audience that Paul was talking to, for example, to hold up Paul as a as the you know paradigm for cross cultural missions ignores sadly the fact that Paul was not a cross cultural mission missionary that Paul did not cross cultures uh, that Paul was not a guy who went out and learned languages and Paul never operated in a in a culture that he was like oh, I don't understand what these people are thinking like he he totally understood he did not have that experience that is so familiar to missionaries today. That experience of being like, wow, these people are strange and I don't even, I can't even put my finger on why it is that they're so strange. Paul really did understand the people that he's around. And then the other thing that I would say is, is that Paul was, uh, a, a, we don't, I, this is part of the, this is related to him being a missionary, that Paul was a, a an important redemptive historical figure. Um, in the same way that uh, we recognize that John the Baptist was, you know, John the Baptist was uh, related to uh, other people who had come before him and came after him, but he had this very unique role to fill in the outworking of God's plan of redeeming his people and setting up his kingdom. Okay, the Apostle Paul too. There, there, the Apostle Paul is unparalleled. He was a unique, I always call him the special agent of God's kingdom. He was doing, he was this one man wrecking ball for God's kingdom. He had this very specific uh, job to do. And that's why some of the things you see in the book of Acts, it's very important that Paul go to the right place at the right time. He is on a schedule because he's one guy who's living out this very specific mission. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a fascinating thing to get into why, why Paul, why was he needed and why was, why was he chosen? But the fact of it is that he was, this is, this is the guy that we're dealing with in the book of Acts. In your study, and I know you've studied a lot, what are some of the more significant works or treaties done on missions, or what we would consider modern missions, yeah. that have been highly influential in the way that we view it and apply it, especially in regards to the Book of Acts? Yeah, I would say it's probably an area that I'm I'm woefully uh, ignorant about. I'm I'm always a little ashamed to to find out the uh, the number of influential uh, missions books uh, that I haven't. That I haven't read, but I think a couple, one along this lines that's been super uh, influential was Roland Allen's book. Uh, who is a, he was an English missionary to China, and he had he wrote a book called Missionary Methods: Saint Paul's or Ours. And uh, I, I got into that. I read that uh, uh, earlier this year, and um, I was one of the things I was really surprised by it is the different kind of historical moment that he was writing to. Um, it's easy for us to to take the message and basically Roland Allen, he was just going, he walked through the life of the apostle Paul. And so these are, this seems to be the strategy that he was using. And uh, this seems to be what Paul was about in his life. And then comparing that to the methodologies of the missionaries of, of his day. And we as modern 
readers can read that and fail to see the very large difference between the way missions was being done in Roland Allen's day versus the way missions was being done our day. For example, one of the largest, kind of the, the, the main um, strategy that, that uh, comes in for critique in, in Allen's book is the idea of going to uh, a new mission field and sort of building this big uh, mission station monstrosity. Of, of chopping down all these trees and erecting these large buildings and starting this full service kind of ministry with all these different um, services being offered to the uh, to the to the locals uh, before anyone has even converted to Christ and 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 he was mainly trying to push back against that I think and he he saw he felt like that kind of approach was was quite off. But um, in, in case, you you know, if you don't know, missions today is very rarely, I think, I think it's quite rare that missions is conducted under such a uh, approach um, in our day. I think it's largely we've, we've exchanged, you know, our approach doesn't look at all like the, the average missionary's approach did in Roland Allen's day. And that means that we have to take everything that Roland Allen said, I think, with a, with a grain of salt, that some of the lessons that he was trying to um, apply to his day. I'm not. I'm not sure he would say the same thing at all if he saw missionaries. I think he would see a totally different set of of problems for the most part. You'd mentioned control room fallacy, hmm. right? And and the yeah. way that it plays into to this problem. How how does that connect? First of all, what is control room fallacy? You'd mentioned yeah. it before. Not not on this podcast, but what is control room fallacy? And and. And you later on mentioned missi- uh, missiolatry too. Those two things, I thought yeah. those are just those are just fun things to say. <laughs> you've yeah. got it. We've got to work it in and talk about what they are and the way that we had this misconception of missions and also the Book of Acts and how we read through it. So, how how did those two factors play into all? Yeah, that? this is probably a big difference between our day and Roland Allen's day. I think um, control, the control room fallacy or the control room thinking is, I think, the idea that there's um, that what we need to move forward in missions is high-level strategic thinking. That we need people to sort of see everything that's going on in the world and sort of come up with a solution or a program or a map that will lead us from where we are to Great Commission fulfillment or to mission accomplished. And so uh, these are people who need to think in terms of the macro strategy, what needs to change large scale and uh, point to different um major trends that need to change, the things that we kind of need to see more of. Well, I say it's a fallacy because, first of all, there's nobody in the control room. There's there's nobody that has quite that level of, of influence that can actually put any of that into action. But second, I think it, I call it a fallacy because nor is it desirable that we would have anybody in that position. So in missions history, we have this weird thing that uh, I call it, I call it uh, a missions alarmism. So the idea of alarmism is that everything in missions right now is broken, and we can tell everything is broken because of the numbers. We know that there are X number of billion people who have uh, who are not believers, who, or we'll say, you know, there are this many billion people who have never heard the gospel, which those numbers are almost always inflated and wrong. Uh, but there's this many people who've never heard the gospel, and so we're we're in our effort to sort of drum up attention and support for missions and for missionaries. We kind of paint this dire uh, scenario where it's a major, you know, crisis and all this stuff. And 
well, if that's the case, then the one thing that we know is that whatever and kind of the thing that all those alarmist talks build up to is whatever we've been doing, it's not working. Whatever we're doing for recruiting, it's not working. Whatever we're doing for financial support, it's not working. What we're doing for evangelism and church planning and tr the, the approach of these missionaries is fundamentally flawed. So extremely troubled by what they would say to be the overall low output of average missionaries. Okay, so um, now what needs to be done is we need to bring in these new um, creative and innovative uh, solutions that will come down from the control room. That is, in my in my humble opinion, that is not desirable uh, at all. That I think it's a pretty uncharitable view of the missions uh, of the history of missions. In fact, the one astounding thing of there's obviously two two equally astounding things about the history of missions is number one how bad it's been, um, and even you know you know you and I we've 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 served as missionaries and we have more we have an, we have plenty of stories just between the two of us of just how bad it can get on the mission field. Not just talking about other missionaries, but talking about our own lives yeah. of just how bad it can get yeah. and how unproductive and unhealthy it can get. So that's the first thing. And that's been widely acknowledged in the history of missions. If you read anybody who, who writes about missions, it's widely acknowledged. Like, this, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, an, it's an, a miracle that anything good ever happens. But that's the, other, that's the other shocking thing in the history of missions is that somehow, somehow by the grace and goodness of God, something has gone incredibly right that there's a massive number of Christians in the world compared to previous years that there's more Christians in the world today as a percentage of the world's population than there were 10 years ago than there were 20 years ago than there were 30 years ago and so first of all to say that everything is in this these dire conditions is first of all terribly ungrateful and it's a slander on our Lord who is building his church and uh, also it's dangerous because then the supposition is well, if everything's been going wrong, then we know the thing we need to do next is not is something new, something we haven't done before, and we're going to scrap everything. We've been, and that is tremendously unwise because as humble and as feeble and as small as our missionary efforts have been in the past, um, God has blessed them uh, tremendously historically. Yeah, and you and I have seen the results of that in the lives of of faithful Christians who mm. love God, who who want to give everything they have to serve Him and to make Him known around the world, and yet they mm. struggle with this guilt that because I'm not serving overseas as a missionary, then I'm not doing enough or I'm not enough, and so then there's this this guilt that they're constantly dealing with. That yeah, as, as we had talked about before, this is this has become an idol. For yeah. us and for many other people. Right, which we call the, the missiolatry, right? I was just wanting that word, <laughs> missiolatry. There it is. Yeah, the idea is you can make a really uh, simple case for it. And well-meaning, uh, I, I think Christians who truly love the Lord, uh, this is, is also a product. Of, well, I think the alarmism is maybe a product of this of, of missiolatry a little bit. It's to say, well, what is, what's you know, what is, you'll hear talks like this, you know, what is the purpose that, Christ has left us here on this earth for, you know, why is he after redeeming us? Why is he leaving us here, here on the earth? Well, it must be uh, to do this great thing to be his witnesses. Okay. And uh, what's more valuable than a human soul, you know, and what would it be worth to save just one more? Wouldn't it be worth giving everything we have just to save one more? Okay. But if you, if you take in all those and you just, you just, that's the only piece of the puzzle that you see. 
then the next question becomes, well, then how is it defensible for you to do anything else with your life besides be, you know, a career missionary? And obviously, there's some important pieces of the puzzle that are being being left out there. We don't want to be missions absolutists or missiolators where we where the mission becomes the thing that we really love and live for and the thing that we we worship. Well, we worship we worship Christ, and um, He has given us a mission that we pursue and that we work for. Uh, but uh, the mission is um, it's not all of our it's not all of our life. It really isn't, and it is a very unhealthy tendency wherever it becomes something like. And you can again you can always make a good case for it because of the of the of the dramatic nature of the of the case. Um, but there's other th- realities that are just as real that aren't as dramatic, but we have responsibility for reminding ourselves of them until they're dramatic. And our, as human beings, we are very easily moved by the plight of other human beings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's, that is truly, truly a, only a piece of what should be going on in a Christian's life. And it's a cause for some worry when that we've maybe, uh, it's a cause for concern that maybe we've become too, uh, man-centered if when the mission begins to loom so large? Is it really because we're so passionate, concerned for God's glory, or is it really that we're so, um, we have this desire to rescue people because people are so valuable to us? Yeah. And considering all of this and, and studying the book of Acts and the relation it has to us today and the church and where we fit into the Great Commission as a whole, what are some things you could leave with, with the people listening now that would encourage them in looking forward? What is the best way to go forward, not just acknowledging, look, I've misunderstood this thing, and maybe I've been worshiping missions mm. instead of worshiping Christ, who mm. I, I claim to be proclaiming, but mm. in reality, the standard for spirituality is how involved I am in missions. Right. So for us as, as believers, how do we go forward with this? And finding our, our place in fulfilling the Great Commission. Yeah, with, uh, you know, you talk about the, the Great Commission, and, and we often think in the book of Acts, in Acts 1-8, where you kind of get Luke's, kind of Luke's version of this, of these parting words of commission that Christ leaves for his apostles. He ascends and he tells his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in these places. And that, by the way, is a is a is a great example of where we get the, where we try to turn the Book of Acts into a guidebook. Where, you know, you get churches will say, "Well, you know, our Jerusalem is kind of like, well, it's our town," and then our Judea is kind of like our county or something like that, and then, uh, you know, Samaria, well, maybe that's kind of like our state, and then the world as well. That's the world, but that's uh, that's not at all how we should understand that passage. This is that's just taking the passage and trying to make it apply directly to our lives, but. Uh, if we can understand what's happening that in that passage, what's amazing is that it's not it's not really even in the form of of a command. It's almost in the form of of a prediction that Jesus tells this his small group of disciples that he's leaving behind, and he says uh, this this may not look like uh, much right now to you, but you will be witnesses. Your witness to me uh, will spread to the very ends of the earth. And by the end of the book of Acts, that has already that's already happened. So when we talk about fulfilling the Great Commission, we should say from the from the certain perspective of the Book of Acts, it's already been fulfilled from that perspective. And the Book of Acts gives us sort of this uh, of an interesting mixture of 
preparing for Christians to suffer, uh, awareness that, that our Christian life is going to be suffering. Uh, we must endure suffering as we, uh, as we await the kingdom of God. Uh, but also this triumphant march forward of the church, that the mission is actually Christ's mission. One of the things that I, I think I got this from the Acts of the Risen uh, Lord, which is a great book on the book of Acts called The Acts of the Risen Lord, one of the better books on Acts that I've read, great help to me. Um, in that book, he, he does a great job of showing how the action in the book of Acts is still being driven forward by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the risen Lord Jesus. That it's not that he's passed off the scene and passed off the baton either to his disciples or just now he's primarily working through his Holy Spirit, but that he is actually still a the main character of the book of Acts. And he is still at work in all things driving uh, the mission forward. And what that should do, I think, as we read the book of Acts, is it starts to fill us with this confidence that come what may, come persecution, come suffering, um, come even difficulties in the church, uh, difficulties outside of the church, difficulties in our country, uh, attacks by political leaders or by religious leaders, um, whether there's uh, financial uh, problems, whatever the, or whether there's even bad weather or whether there's disease, that none of these things are going to be able to stop the steady forward march of the kingdom. And what I think one of the results of that does, one of the things the book of Acts does as Christians when we read that, is that it fills us with this confidence that the same is true today. I think this is one of the lessons that Luke wants us to take, that wants the church of every generation to read and to say, the same is true today. The church is still continuing its forward march. And that in itself, I think, is a great, uh, gives us um, a great impetus, a great desire to be um, more deeply invested uh, in the kingdom ourselves, because we can do it because it's a sure it's a sure investment. His kingdom is moving forward. Thanks again, Jay, yes. for, for taking time to, to be with us today. If you get a chance, check it out online. Jake Tauby, the author of the book, Send Me, I'll Go, Letting the Mission Choose Your Direction. Uh, it's available on Amazon, and uh, I highly recommend it for anyone who is even remotely interested in missions. So, uh, thanks again, Jake, and thank you to everyone out there listening to this podcast, and we'll see you again on the next Master's EMP. Mm-hmm.